Welcome to another edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup with me, Gareth Hanna, our, our regular two-man panel of Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how's it going? And Adam McKenzie. Hey, guys. So we'll space up a little bit this week. We've got to defeat them all over. Not just any defeat, it's Ulster's worst defeat ever. Yeah! Plenty to discuss on that front, including how it came at the worst possible timing for Jonathan and his <laughs> new book. We'll look ahead to better days when Connett visit Kingspan on Friday and we'll take a little look at Ulster A-Team, all your listener questions and of course the local club scene. But first of all then, Monster 64, Ulster 7. Someone explain, explain. You know in the old days you'd see in the teletext or I'd put the, <laughs> yeah. the, the number but I'd write it out just yeah. to, you know, it, it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It absolutely is. Um, so how, how was this ill-timed for you more than anybody? Yeah, I could have done without a new record defeat given that the first chapter of my upcoming book is about Ulster's record, previous record defeat as it is now. But uh, yeah, so we finished that on Friday, went to print um, and then come <laughs> it Saturday. It actually couldn't have been worse. Come Saturday, dated, but uh, there we are. So for the second, like the second print run, you could have like a little in pen, just a wee arrow, yeah. second worst defeat. I love your optimism about a second print. Oh, that's, I'm confident. That's the kind of support that I need at this. Uh, at <laughs> I this can just imagine a lot of hurried emails from Johnny to the publishers. I've made a mistake. I've made a mistake. I've made a mistake. <laughs> Was there? A, did you like? Did you like check with him? Like, can we get this changed? No, I just you know just come to accept these things. Yeah, it's a good talking. Do you know? It's a good selling point. It is. It is. I'm zen about it now. It's like um, these things happen. <laughs> You've got to include a foreword now. Just saying. This is, I clarify what happened and no, like gone to print is is gone to print. There, are yeah, unless you handwrite it yeah. on cover. <laughs> hopefully, yes. hopefully being committed to paper as we, as we speak. I mean, I'm throwing out solutions here, and Johnny's banned <laughs> them all away. Well, we'll we'll give you a big chat about the book a little bit later. Um, it, it'll be worth the wait. I'm told. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure it will be. <laughs> knowing, knowing your regular work in the newspaper, John, I'm sure it will be a real page turner. <laughs> that sounds sarcastic, then, but actually, then, minute. Well, especially <laughs> when it's a page turner in the newspaper, and you have to just be going to somebody else. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. That was a better joke than I thought it was. Um, well, let's talk about the match then. Uh, what, like, was it as bad as being Ulster's record defeat? You have to put these things in context, and like we were chatting on Friday in the office whenever the team came out, and we're like, "That's a twenty-point defeat," and then I think the bookies said it at nineteen, okay. uh, which is an unusually large handicap deficit yeah. for uh, for a game of rugby, not at the test level, and. If the boogies had have known that Henderson and John Cooney were going to go off within the first 35 minutes, it would have been even larger. You throw yeah. in a couple of bad bounces, a couple of questionable refereeing decisions, and then the yellow card laid on, and it's. I, I don't think it's as big a leap from the 20, 30 point defeat that it could have been to the 57 point defeat that it was as some people would probably think I'll tell you what you were quids in if you went for a minus 56 handicap absolutely imagine you monster. did monster I think that would have been a request to bet special <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and one that would have been called into question after full time <laughs> The thing is, with this kind of result, you can look at it from two perspectives. One, you can look at it as Ulster's record defeat, nine tries conceded, and a horrible result just to put on the record. Or you can look at it as Ulster put out a much-changed team, a very young team, and sent them down to the bear pit that is Tillman Park. Munster, for their struggles away have still been good at home they haven't been properly tested at home and they still haven't been properly tested at home because Ulster were just so poor but you look at that side 10 of that starting lineup were under 23 which is a big thing for me and that you've given a lot of guys big interpro experience against what was effectively Munster's first choice team in a full-blooded environment down in the bear pit that is Tillman Park. 
I don't think anyone expected Albie Matthewson to play quite so well on his debut. I think that helped. I think if Ulster hadn't conceded those two tries so early, and the two tries were quite unlucky, there were bounces of the ball um, and a couple unlucky deflections, if they hadn't conceded those two tries so early, I don't think it would have been quite so bad. I think that just put Ulster behind the eight ball, and from there they were never going to recover. But it does open up a lot of concerns for me in that you look at the way the pack was bullied. Now, the pack was missing a lot of key names. You're missing Best, you're missing Katsia, you missed Henderson for most of it. Uh, so there, there is a lot of ballast to come back in. But at the same time, the mall was still poor. The breakdown work was still poor. These are things that have been problems from the start of the season. This isn't a case of on the day they were poor. This is a case of Ulster's consistent problems still being an issue. Peter O'Mahony was given free reign at the breakdown to do whatever he wanted. And he had a fantastic game as a result. But he was never tested. He was just able to pick and choose his battles and go in and steal the ball whenever he really needed to. Ulster keeps saying they have to play a different style of game in the forwards because they don't have that big abrasive pack like other teams do. And that's true. That's right. They have to do that. But what what do they do when the other team have the ball? They can't stop other teams from rolling over the top of them when the other team has the ball. And they have to find out ways to stop them from doing that. And they're so far I've seen no solutions. And that's the kind of thing that I'm concerned about from the weekend not that they conceded 64 points and it was a record defeat the fact that the problems that have stemmed from the first four games continued into this game is there a worry adam mentioned that there were so many young players playing is there a worry as to what impact in one of their first games having going down the record books could have mentally i don't know i think like if you're if you're in a position where you're going to have some sort of lasting um, lasting thing about that kind of game, then you're probably not in a position where you have the determination to make it at the sharp end of sport anyway, okay. if you can be so easily knocked off course. It's See, that's why, that's why I never made up. Well, <laughs> too mentally fragile. I wake up. And you, could, you keep telling answer. yourself that. <laughs> I wake up and one thing goes wrong in my day. I'm like, no, nope, starting again tomorrow. It'll be fine. But uh, no, look, it's an interesting enough debate. Like they have it in the NFL every year of when is too soon to start a number one draft pick. Can you be um, like essentially? Can you ruin a young player by exposing them to too much too soon? Cough, cough, Baker Mayfield, cough, cough. But um, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm firmly on the Baker Mayfield hype train. So am I. So, so am I. I, re- but. I reject that notion. Anyway, <laughs> back to the point and what people here. Me and the listeners are going yes. to Google. Let's <laughs> play right now. Continue there. Um, and I don't think like any of the See? players that were playing, the younger players, are going to carry that with them. You want them to have learned lessons from it, but I don't think it'll be a case of, oh, I'm not, I don't have what it takes to be a professional rugby player because this happened to me on my second game or my third game or my fourth game or my first game. Um, it, if you're looking at it in general, like, I suppose like one of my pet peeves is um, people complaining about the outcomes of things rather than the process of things. So it would be painfully ridiculous to try and defend a 57 point loss and that's not what I'm going to try and do but at the same time two weeks ago me and Michael and yourself sat in that room and said do you think it would be a good idea to send a weekend team down to Munster target the games around it knowing that you're probably not going to get anything from Munster with a full strength team so that's essentially what happened. Now, you don't expect it to be mm-hmm. a record defeat, but you can't champion the idea like we did two weeks ago and then say it's a disgrace that this happened, that they got beat by so many points. Because we didn't learn anything about the Ulster squad 
on Saturday for my money that we didn't already know that when you go below that first 15 that first 23 the depth isn't there because of the lack of talent that's come through in a fairly prolonged period essentially between Ian Henderson to the players we see coming through now with the exception of Jacob Stockdale you haven't had players coming through the academy system so you're watching it and you know there's a relatively petty yellow card near the end and things are unraveling and you're writing a match report but at the same time I don't think it was and again I'm not trying to defend this but on the basis of the 80 minutes I don't think it was as bad as the scoreline would suggest given that as we said if you're talking about a 19 point handicap before you lose two players mm-hmm. like at the end of the first half there were five players that you could probably make an argument would be an Ulster's first choice 15 and at least a couple of them are in the areas that we constantly say that the team needs to improve mm-hmm. so it wasn't indicative of anything that's happening at Ulster rugby at present for me it was indicative of the lack of depth that has been an issue that's been created by the past couple of years. What I learned, you mentioned the match report there, was that people absolutely love the words worst ever defeat in the headline. Yeah. Because I had the the match report up, it was going fine, doing reasonably well because it was such a heavy feat. But then you gave me the news that it was the worst ever and then I put your match report up. (laughs) But worst ever in the headline, it went mad. Crisis reporting gets everyone excited. uh, (laughs) It was the most read uh, match report ever by a mile. I say ever in the like year and a half that I've been here, but, but this, uh, yeah, this result, loved it. So this more result, record defeats coming up, please for the hits. <laughs> What's this, the record win? Seven or something? Uh, don't ask us. You're the one with the book. <laughs> that wasn't part of it. <laughs> this just going off the back of what Johnny said. This result emphasizes what a job McFarland has to do. People are getting excited over the fact that Ulster started mm-hmm. four or. Sorry, three from four with a draw. And the young core coming through and how great this was. But it emphasises this still isn't just a one-year job. This is a two- or three-year job, possibly pushing even further on. He needs to create that squad before Ulster are going to be competitive. Because that's the kind of game where, even with all your injuries, even with all the guys who are unavailable... You have to at least be making a bit of a fist of it now. With all the guys that also were missing, I wouldn't expect any side to be competitive. But you at least need to show something resembling a competitive outlook in a game. And that's where also you need to get their squad too, that they have guys who are able to fill in and make that into a competitive fixture as opposed to the walkover that we saw at the weekend. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I just think that we knew all these things already. So it's oh, like, no, we, we absolutely like, did. We, I'm, I'm not saying you. I'm just saying in general the idea of like hopping up and down <laughs> and saying this is, this is a disgrace. Look at this shambles. When really it's like... I think if this had have happened like 18 months ago, then we would have been using that rock bottom phrase. But... Because it happened now, and everyone's became so conscious of the rebuild involved in Ulster Rugby. Now, I think it's just a case of that happened. That was unfortunate. <laughs> I can see why it happened. Let's see if they do any better against Connacht, because this is the thing as well when we talk about. Now, Ulster have argued vehemently against the idea that they were sending down a weekend team, saying that Stuart McCluskey was the only player who could have played. That didn't play. Basically, it's 23 guys that are fit to play. We're going to play in that game. Mm-hmm. But we've seen this, the most recent example being Osprey's trip to not Thomond, um Irish Independent Park, <laughs> um, to give it its cork, <laughs> to give it its full grand title. Um, that's the only match Ospreys have lost this season. They're second in the conference. At one point, they were top of the conference this weekend before mm-hmm. Glasgow won. So, it's an experiment that's worked out well mm-hmm. for Ospreys. If you accept, and nobody wants to accept this, but 
It's a dose of reality. If you accept that even at full strength you weren't getting anything from that game. Now, obviously what you need to do then is back that up in the way that Osprey is a fact. So yeah. Ulster, for all their travel complications, did well to take the points from South Africa and they relied mm -hmm. very heavily on the same group of players to do that. So they resisted the rotation there, rotated for Munster and should be much closer to a recognisable 15 in Europe. So what they do in Europe will now dictate for me what you think of that Munster game in the same way that mm -hmm. like Leinster sent down a shadow team to Galway at the end of last season. Nobody remembers that uh, they had 40-odd points put on them, apart from Kane Healy, um, <laughs> because they then went on <laughs> to win the double. You know, It's about yeah. what you do after yeah. these things. Mm -hmm. And in terms of reaction from support, uh, you guys obviously are closer to the supporters than I am. Social media and stuff. What has the reaction been? Have people been fairly like balanced and level-headed about it, or is there are there no. people going? Like oh, I this is the end of the world. I had a lot more support for my more balanced comment piece than I thought I would. I thought I would have an awful lot of people saying, um, "I can't believe you're accepting a fifty-seven-point <laughs> favour." By and large, like, given that the arguments that were outlined in the piece, the same sort of arguments that I've made here, people seem to agree with that stance, unless there is people who are just like, I can't believe what that idiot wrote, I'm not even going to bother tweeting him abuse anymore. <laughs> I, do, I, do. I think it, it does... If people have abuse to fire out, my experience of <laughs> social media is that they will fire out. I think it is good that the supporters are on board with the fact that this is a rebuild. It's not oh, woe is us, worst defeat, how terrible are we? There is a there is realism that this is going to be a tough year in spots and we've got to grin and bear it and hope the young guys come out better for the experience. Because yeah. if anything, Ulster need the fans on their side. Yeah. Well let's uh interject at this very moment then to talk about the book a little bit so tell us all about the book it's called the last amateurs isn't it it Did is get the right? what, yeah. what? i love the way you had to clarify well it's just i just want to make sure i was second guessing myself there i thought it was right so yeah tell us all about it um it's a very vague question it's a oh. book it's about <laughs> ulster winning the european cup just for people who may not be um, au fait with this information well, no, that we already know. That's completely understandable. The more people who are not au fait with it who become au fait. That's the game um, of the game here. Yeah, exactly. So it's about us to win in the European Cup. It's the story of that season. As we said, it starts just a little bit before with what, until very recently, it was also <laughs> worst ever defeat at the, hands of, uh, at the hands of Wasps and how they went from losing 56-3 to Wasps in uh, Loftus Road in January of, uh, sorry, in 1997, and then going on to then win the European Cup against uh, Colomer in Lansdowne Road in January of 1999. So what you're telling us is what you've written is the blueprint of how Ulster can win the European Cup in two years from now? Well, That's what no, you're telling us? Because... You know. that's, that's what I got from it. <laughs> um, what, what, all can we, what, are, what are the features of the book? Who have we got? Who's, who's interviewed? Um, interviewed quite a lot of people. So um, an awful lot of the players from that year that I was able to... The, that had the time, basically. So... In other words, he Facebook stalked them and harassed them <laughs> until they gave in. Yeah, Just well, not, not Facebook stalking, but there is an awful lot of um, going through friends of friends of friends, you mm. know, these people to get in contact. But, like, everyone was very, uh, very agreeable to do it, you know, um, and was very giving of their time. I mean, Alan Clark did an interview about four or five hours before Ospreys played... Uh, Played Ulster. David Humphreys did an interview um, the day that um, Gloucester were over to play Connacht. So you know people had other things to be doing, but uh, <laughs> still took the time out to talk about it. And uh, just to remember, it was a very special, um, very special period for Ulster rugby. So where did the sort of idea for this uh, this come about? 
So I am absolutely dosed with the calls. So I keep stopping to drink water just in case anybody's wondering what these, real here. what these long pauses are about. Um, no, like I read sports books almost exclusively, sadly. Like um, for an English graduate, that's pretty much all I read. And um, it always just sort of surprised me that the book didn't already exist. Uh, there yeah. was a, there was actually um, a book called Champions that came out just after. I think it came out in March, like two months after the final, um, which was done as sort of like a player's diary almost of looking yeah. back, but very, very quickly. And then, um, so it was really just through that. The fact that it was a book that I wanted to read that didn't exist, then I just um, foolishly decided that I would try and write it. So can you give us like a little snippet of like what was like was there like some peak stories in there? And obviously you don't want to give away all the quality. Yeah. There's like a little bit you can give us. No, there were some there were some good stories now. There was a few that were then um, followed up with. Now obviously you can't put that in the book, so um, <laughs> probably save Which are the best ones. Yeah, save, save them for the launch night when we have it. Um, <laughs> good story. Well the fact that um, the ground never reached the twenty thousand um capacity that was the minimum for the semi-final is a good one because um i'm sure like most of the most of the listeners will be aware that there was a huge um drama surrounding ravenhill for the semi-final of whether they could get it from a twelve thousand um capacity stadium to a twenty thousand capacity stadium and they had to do all sorts of work to it to ensure that Stade Francais had to come um, had to come to Belfast to play rather than the game being moved um, so Ulster kept that uh, that home advantage and as it turns out the capacity of Ravenhill that day was actually 19,632 so the game precise. should not have been played at Ravenhill at all, David Humphrey's try should not have happened at Ravenhill no worries so there you go. It also should be stripped of the trophy. That and uh, <laughs> that and other bombshells. Johnny's book could spark an investigation <laughs> that leads to the European Cup being taken away from Ulster. Oh, actually, there's very there's very few bombshells. It's like, the point of the book was really. No, don't say don't say that. Uh, there was expectations. You're really not doing selling this book very well. <laughs> well, I don't know. Do people do people buy books for bombshells? That's Absolutely. Funny. I don't know. The point of the book was. A team 20 years ago is unrecognisable to a team now. So you have this idea that Ulster were training at 6 o'clock in the morning, training at half 7 at night, and in between there were 10 or so boys going off and um, doing their 9-to-5 job in between while taking on fully professional um, rugby teams in the balance there and just the characters involved in the team you know, guys that maybe you don't hear about anymore, the likes of, you know, Rabber and Stephen McKenty, Sturdy Duncan, guys like that, then going out to talking to them, getting their memories, what it was like for them, and then adding that into the stars of the team, you know, the likes of Andy Ward and his um, dash from Ravenhill to the hospital mid-game for to see the, the birth of his son, David Humphreys, and... His son, David Humphreys. <laughs> <laughs> that would be weird. There was quite clearly a comma there. Um, should have been a full stop. That's what my editor would have told me. <laughs> That's why it took so long between finishing and getting in it. Um, you know, David Humphreys and his memories of that try. Sheldon Coulter and his involvement in it. Um, just things like that, really. It's really like... It'll be a nice piece of nostalgia for people who do remember that, and then for people who don't, and it's a real sort of a window into a totally different era. Yeah, like that's essentially what interested me so much about it because, like, it felt like doing something completely different because I cover on a daily basis a team that's like so professional in mm. everything that they do, so managed in everything that they do everything's planned so much in what they do whereas you had this idea that Ulster really were um, to use the words of um, John Cunningham in the book a farce with what they were trying to do in terms of organisation and then you get the guys coming back from England 
um, David Humphreys, Mark McCall, um, Justin Fitzpatrick, Johnny Bell, Alan Clark, and Simon Mason as well. They've just have had basically had to leave in some of those cases, obviously not Macy or uh, Justin Fitzpatrick, but have had to leave to become professional rugby players because Ulster just wasn't a professional outfit. So they've come back and brought that together and just that mm-hmm. blend between those guys that were playing for London Irish, were playing for Northampton, coming in and you've got guys here training around being a builder or training around driving a lorry or <laughs> training around working in a factory and just all these different um, all these different people, all these different structures to their day all coming together behind sort of one cause as it were to propel what in my mind and I think beyond any shadow of a doubt they're the most unlikely team to ever win the European Cup and that's a bitch for a film right there <laughs> get, uh, get right let's, get, let's get, wait for the book to do well before we start discussing a film <laughs> get Dirk to oil on us but like in all seriousness as somebody who like what like what was it I was like eight or nine or eight then right and like was not a boyhood massive rugby fan I remember it happened but didn't really know much about it like it's it is, a, it is a good story like I think it's just hearing you talking about it like, there it's like that's pretty cool I would have been 10 and you're very aware of everything and you're very aware of being able to see what it means to people but it, because you can remember it that you then almost don't go back into it afterwards and the, like I learned a lot of stuff from doing it yeah in terms of just interviewing the players and getting their stories and I suppose putting detail to the vague sort of notions that you have in your memory about it and that was what I sort of enjoyed about it most like putting essentially putting all the story together and how you get from as we said this idea of being worlds away from a Wasp team that features Lawrence Delalio and where they're your preparation for the games, going out for a few beers in London, to beating Toulouse and Stade Francais. Because without the English teams being in the competition that year, it's there are people out there who think of it as a victory that has an asterisk, but going into the competition and before, like Toulouse and Stade Francais would have been the favourites and you would have had to be a very good rugby team to beat them. And Ulster beat you know, Ulster beat Toulouse twice, Dad Francais. And a Colomera team that, you know, had Jean Luc Sardinet in it, had uh Fabien Gaultier in it, um, coached by Jacques Brunel, um, David Scrella, and it was I think it was things like that that you almost forgot. <laughs> and then yeah. So that like that was a hugely enjoyable part of the process for me and um suppose going back and spending a lot of uh, a lot of afternoons in the newspaper library going through and seeing um, the way even the Belfast Telegraph would have covered it and things like that and reading all the old uh, reports and stories and um, where you can tell it's very different to how it is now because you could tell that they clearly just rung up guys and got them on the phone and things <laughs> like that you know? yeah. I'm just imagining Rob Irwin going into work on the Monday being like good weekend Rob I won the European Cup nice well, see, Rab Rab was actually um, professional that season. That was Rab Irwin's only professional se- season of professional rugby. I picked age completely of, the wrong person. At the, uh, at the age of thirty-five, but because he was a professional rugby player, he turned up for work on the Monday morning, and he was, he was asked like, "Rab, what are you doing? Like, you've won the European Cup at the weekend. Why? Why are you here?" He's like, that's my job. I meant to be here, and it's the, you know it's that attitude of um, I suppose what he would have had when he was a builder and looking into property development, or even what he would have had when he was working at FG Wilson. Of well, that's my job, so I have to be here. So he turns up on Monday. Nobody else is there, so you know he's there with um, and his girlfriends at the time is coming with him too, and they're there with the trophy in Ravenhill, and nobody else is there on the Monday morning, and um. But, you know, you say about what he was doing when he wasn't um, playing and it was like, it was really bad weather that um, that year um, over Christmas and bits of Ravenhill fell down. So like in his free time, he was up 
putting the um, building trade skills to good use and fixing half the stadium before uh, Stade Francais. And it's just like, it's little bits like that that sort of got me convinced at the time anyway that it would be... Uh, it would make such a good story. Yeah, we've got to I stop talking, or it'll give away <laughs> all the good stories. <laughs> You've sold it to me. I'll definitely take a copy now. Um, <laughs> see if I read it and then like give you a review, and then if you have like social media profiles for it, can I be like the little blurb, like the little review of it, where it says like five stars, best book I've ever read, Gareth Hammer. Like if I that? if we get to that second printing that we've <laughs> Unbelievable. spoken about, yeah, but it probably will look a little bit strange when it's like. The blurb says the Belfast Telegraph's Jonathan Bradley and then all the review quotes are from the Belfast <laughs> Telegraph. That's true. I need to get another job. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it sounds like a very time-consuming process. Was it an enjoyable one? I really enjoyed the process of doing the interviews. Um, cause was, there were some players that I would have known, you know, uh, Bryn, um, Tony McCorder, guys like that that I would have known just from doing bits and pieces of the work. But it was still really interesting to get their stories and it was really good, I suppose, to interview player players that I never um, would have met before. Like David Humphreys had left by the time that I um, had this job. Yeah, so you, know, you never I, really met him? I'd never met him before. Yeah. He was already away by the time I started... Um, covering the team so I'd never interviewed him um, Mark McCall was another one that I'd never interviewed um, it's great to go like go over and spend a good lot of time with um, with Simon Mason over in Liverpool and see him talking out of training for Birkenhead Park in his mid 40s still uh, <laughs> still playing the game not allowed to take the not allowed to take the place kicks um, and that's that's given to somebody else. Winning a European Cup doesn't uh, doesn't get any standing with it. So like I really I really enjoyed that um part of it. Like I suppose if you're in um doing the jobs that we do, you kinda have to like hearing people tell you stories about sport, otherwise you wouldn't be uh, you wouldn't be doing it. So it was a lot of fun. I liked riding it, um again, because I like writing about sports. There is a, you know, if you're spending like your day off in the week writing about rugby when your job's writing about rugby, yeah. that does tend to be that feeling that you're just working every day at that stage. But it was only for a year, like it's yeah. done now. I think that the difficult part of it is this part that I hate of doing anything is one, transcribing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. when you're transcribing <laughs> interviews that are instead of like 10 minutes long or 15 minutes long for a press conference and you're sitting down and you get two, three hours to transcribe. It's a fairly arduous process and editing in it and like mm. rereading and proofreading and proofreading and proofreading is just, uh, takes a lot of time and isn't particularly... Yeah, like reading about once can be like a big, yeah. a big deal for me. Like, I do like reading, but like, I mean... Yeah, it's a good book if I reach the end of it. Like, usually it's like before the last couple of chapters, and then I give up ahead of the last couple of chapters. So this is going to be the big test. Can Gareth get to the end <laughs> of your book? Yeah. Well, mercifully, it is quite short. Be, like, it's <laughs> only it's only two hundred pages. Yeah, that could just be my, my little blurb for you. I read to the yeah. end. <laughs> I got through all two hundred pages. <laughs> well, like the end is the final, so I'd like to think. Yeah, yeah, true. So if yeah. Plus, yeah, you know what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If sales go well, will we get a sequel? <laughs> The next time I'll start with the European Cup. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. No, like I'd probably like to do more. But a few more ideas floating about in there. I've got another one that I would like to do, but so don't, would, don't, don't tell. Somebody it, might steal it. it would, uh, I've got the iPad out ready to. <laughs> it would take a lot longer, and uh, I definitely need a break in between. So, right. have you? Has anybody else read it? Uh, the only person that's read it has so far has been my editor and uh, my sister who proofread it. So, uh, yeah. Well, what was their What was their feedback? I mean, obviously, like they're close to you. And yeah, so they're not going to say it's mock, I'm sure. But uh, I'm sure it's not, obviously. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think my sister is going to slate it and. Uh, well, maybe my editor was just too far in at that point. They were like <laughs> <laughs> committed to releasing it. Um, so when's it out? It will hopefully be out 
next Friday. Oh really? We're very much ho- as soon as very that. much hoping to have it out before the Leicester Tigers game. If okay. not, it'll probably be the week after that. And where so can we'll, sorry, what's we'll that? Friday the fourteenth. Friday October, yes. the twelfth of October. Twelfth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And where where can people purchase said book? Um, from all good booksellers. And some rubbish ones. And probably some rubbish ones as well. Um, if you're in town, it will be in uh, Waterstones and Easons. If you're further afield, you can buy it from the publishers, which are Blackstaff Press. You'll be able to buy it on their website. You can buy it on Amazon. You can, yeah. Great. Anywhere where they sell books. How much is it? Uh, it'll be a tenner. Too much. It's not all. That's all. <laughs> it's, it's not it's, for nothing. It's not a hardcover. It's so, for absolutely uh, nothing. Yeah. There you are. An ideal, is, an ideal yeah. stocking filler as exactly. well. Absolutely. If you, uh, if you don't know what to get your um, Ulster Ruby loving family for, uh, for Christmas, it. this is both cheap and uh, fun for the whole family. Exactly. Just buy everybody one. Yeah. I, can, I can imagine mothers and fathers reading this book to their kids as they drift off exactly. to sleep every night. Imagine. No, be nice. I bet you there is. See if there's anybody listening who is really in, in future times reads this book to their kids when they're going to bed. Let us know because that'd be really nice. Um, or just uh, reads it at all would also be really nice. <laughs> you'd be. You'd know how many people are reading it by how much money you're rolling in. You're I don't know if anyone's ever looked into how much money you get per book, but uh, there'll be no rolling. <laughs> <laughs> you're not planning your retirement just yet? No. Um, Put up with me for a while longer. <laughs> good, good. Uh, I can turn those pages in the paper more then. <laughs> um, yes, call it at home on Friday, seven thirty-five kickoff. I, I just realised it didn't look that up. Is it? It yeah, is indeed. It is indeed. Okay. Yes. Uh, so it should be as we've already sort of touched upon a totally different looking Ulster team. We know already that Rory Best and Jacob Stockdale coming back in. Uh, there'll be two of presumably many changes. Yeah, so Ulster have released an injury update literally just as we are recording the podcast. Rory Best, Jacob Stockton and Sean Reedy are all back. John Cooney is fine. He suffered a recurrence of that scalp laceration that he got against the Kings, but he should be fine. Um, Mark's up. I need to get this in the website. <laughs> <laughs> this is bad time. I'm back in two minutes. I need to get Gareth, but this is the website. You talk amongst yourselves there. This is all the podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, Marcel Kudzia, Will Allison, and Michael Lowry are continuing to be assessed for their respective injuries. Uh, Ian Henderson suffered a concussion. He's going through return to play. Darren Cave fractured his thumb, so he is out for eight weeks. And Vihan Herbst has had surgery on Tuesday. That felt like just a big list of stuff I hate giving big lists of it stuff it was good because um, it, it was live to us because it, yeah. it had happened since we started so uh. <laughs> the, the thing for Ulster is they have to get a response and we were talking about this earlier you, you were talking about this earlier last week putting down the week inside to Limerick means absolutely nothing if they now don't back it up with a win this week and we've talked so much about uh, how Connacht haven't won Ulster for so long and how this should be a home win. Ulster have to have some kind of a response to last week and it has to be a big response in order to justify what happened last week. Well, and I, th- like, I know you think the same, so I'm not like arguing with you. Argue away. It's, just, it's a better podcast when we argue with each it's other. It's just... I, th- I think the proof in the pu- the proof will be in the pudding over a longer term, but it's not a case of if they get beat by Connacht, which I don't think they will. But if they were to get beat by Connacht, I don't think it means it was a mistake. The team that they fielded in Munster. No, I, d- I don't think it was a mistake either. But I think you, you, do, you do need something this week. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I've had, like I've been pretty impressed with Connacht this season. But they have been a mixed bag. Um, I didn't think they were particularly bad on Saturday. Ultimately, you know, they got beat 20-3 to 3 at home, which doesn't look good. But um, some of their attacking play I thought was actually pretty, pretty nice. And you had really strong defence from Leinster. Like, Leinster's defence mm-hmm. had to be very good yeah. for Connacht to score three... For Connacht to only score three points... It wasn't that Connacht were particularly inept. Now I've also 
I watched the game against Edinburgh and they weren't good in that game at all but I thought they were unlucky against Glasgow bad refereeing decision and they were really really good against um, Scarlet's playing mm-hmm. some great rugby so Andy Friend has almost had a similar sort of week questions wise to what Ulster and Dan McFarland have had where he's been asked of what you know was that a moment where you sort of realise where you're at getting beat by Leinster at home because Connacht haven't lost hadn't lost in Galway to an Irish province for two years so it mm. was sort of it wasn't a surprise result but it was a result that posed questions um, of Connacht I suppose I think Andy Friend is trying to do what Pat Lamb did and he's trying to play a very similar brand of rugby it's very off the cuff very much if you see a chance go for it don't necessarily stick to the game plan if, if you think there's a better way to do something and I, I like that style of rugby and it means you know defences are having to think on the fly they're having to rearrange themselves as the game uh, develops but so far the results haven't quite been the same as when Lamb was there and I think it's possibly just a combination of the team sort of feeling their way into the season and the fact that he maybe doesn't quite have the squad that Lamb did. Lamb had a few more guys who who were just better at playing that off-the-cuff rugby. But look, Ulster are coming into this game three from five and a draw. And this this is a big chance to not fall into the same patterns that they have over the last few years. Over the last few years, and I know we've got a listener question on this that maybe it'd be good to post now. I was, yeah, I was just gonna was just gonna do that. Uh, probably should have thrown in a little bit earlier, but Adam Beresford had asked, and this was a thought that I must say had come into my head over the weekend as well. Will this monster result have the same impact as the Zebra defeat did last season? Yes. So are things gonna fall apart from here so, basically? Yeah, la- last season Ulster lost in Italy to Zebra and things started to go downhill from there. What what's different for Ulster this year is they have a chance to make sure that doesn't happen by putting in a big result here and making sure that there is still that a bit of m- momentum with them. I don't think they lost too much from last week because of all the changes, because of the circumstances surrounding the game. I don't think they lost a huge amount of momentum and this is a chance to keep what they do still have going on by picking up a result here and if they can then take that into Europe there's a lot more optimism than in previous years I don't think it's going to be the same as the Zebra game I don't think the monster loss is quite as bad as the Zebra loss because you weren't expecting to win down in Tillman Park whereas you are expecting yeah. to win out in Italy over Zebra but certainly this week uh, if they can put Connacht to the sword if they can finally show what we think they could have shown over the first four weeks, I think everything from last week will just be wiped away and we'll go back to what was before. It is a very significant game from that point of view, though, isn't it? Like, this is the game after which people are going to start thinking, okay, things are going to fall apart, or, oh, okay, things are okay, things are okay, isn't it? Like, this game is a big burn on that. I don't know, and the only reason that I don't know is that I really don't think people expect an awful lot. Mm. So, you look at the monster result, and if that had happened 12 months ago, people would have been, like, marching on Raymond Hill with pitchforks. <laughs> and now, it's not apathy, it's just, I think it's an understanding of the province's position. Mm. Which perhaps is no bad thing. So, like, you look at to link it into that Zebra result, you look at the sort of feeling around the team last year where everything was so bad that whenever they did have one result, it did feel just like the bottom card being pulled out and the whole structure collapsing. Whereas, and then that festered and built and built and built to the, you know the South Africa, the bad South Africa trip, um, the interpros up until Sam Arnold gets sent off, like 
I don't think he, you're going to generate that sort of ill will around the team that I don't think ever again, to be honest. Like, I think last season really wasn't a deer in the way the team is viewed both by its own supporters, some of its own supporters, and the outside world. So I don't think you can correlate what happened last year to this year in the way that there was such positivity over the first four games of the season, not even necessarily from within Ulster, but from outside about how it was being viewed, that I don't think that it'll be completely negated by that monster game in the way that this strong start last season was completely negated by the, the Zebra result. Well, in a word then, who's going to win? Ulster. Ulster. Good. <laughs> I agree. Um, well, the positivity of this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Although, we would like to see the teams first. I mean, Jack, like, Jack Carter's yeah. been playing really well for them at 10. I knew um, you couldn't do it in a word. I thought you could just he's actually done in a word. Well, but right, I couldn't do it in a word either, but I tried. <laughs> you, one of the big things is looking at that back row. Colby Fianga, I think, is a really good pickup for them. And he's the kind of guy, he's that out-and-out open side who I think can be another disruptive presence against Ulster. He had a really strange game on Saturday. Like, like, you might not have seen it because obviously... <laughs> Being at the Ryder Cup and stuff, but like he was. Thanks for dropping that in, so I didn't have to. <laughs> so just going around telling people that you were at the Ryder Cup. That's <laughs> all I've been doing for days. Um, he started so well and like forced a turnover, should have forced another one. Um, but then Josh van der Flair just really, really got on top mm. of things with the breakdown. Now, like that can happen, you know. He's he's that good yeah. player, but Jared Butler maybe going to be back for that Leinster game um, Connacht I think are doing the media now so we haven't got any injury news out of them yet um, but you'd expect him to be back in the mix as well for that 7 jersey too so but yeah as you say look back row is an interesting one especially given um, what Peter Armani was able to do or allowed to do might be the more appropriate uh, well, te- teams are now in a situation where they don't have to play big ball carriers against Ulster because as long as they have a couple somewhere in that back five of the scrum, then Ulster are going to struggle. You can play two breakdown specialists and you can absolutely flood the uh, the floor battle and you can win it very easily. And if you put Fyinga and Butler in that back row, they could have a field day at the breakdown. This is the problem. I, I don't see... First of all, I don't see what Ulster are doing to improve the breakdown. I don't see a change in strategy. I don't see a change in personnel to try and say we're addressing our breakdown problems. So... Well, you're putting an awful lot on the shoulders of Jordy Murphy, I would assume, when he comes in. Well, um, you, you probably will, but is Jordy Murphy the breakdown specialist? Like, I, in my opinion, you either need two guys who are good at the breakdown or you need one breakdown specialist in that back row and Ulster, think, Ulster don't seem to be committed to doing either let me just interject here then by throwing in the first of the listener questions because we can segue in keep this moving on to the questions here we are Ian Frizzell asks can Moore, Best and Murphy make that pack competitive again? I think if you're looking at you know Adam's talking about the idea of Ulster's breakdown struggles if you put in Jordy Murphy Marcel could see it back into that. Haven't missed the last game. Ian Henderson, he's essentially missed two and a half of the last three games. And Rory Best, you are a completely different pack. Now, Jordy's not going to be back for this week. It's um, sort of turning into one of these week by week by week injuries that. Um, that ends in ACL surgery. I'm just remembering Marcel Kazia from last year, which was he'll be back next week, he'll be back next week. Oh, nine months. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's not speak that over anybody. <laughs> no, because we haven't recorded since the European Cup launch, have we? No. So, like, Jordy Murphy was at that, he spoke very well, seems like a, seems like a good guy. Um, but. None of that's important. The fact of the matter is he said <laughs> that he would, said that he would be back um, soon, certainly in time for 
Europe. Otherwise, I don't know why it would have been in the European Cup launch. But if you're pretty, if you're talking about the international quality that Ulster have in their pack, and you can talk about the depth behind it, and you can talk about whether they have enough of it, but those are the four um, bona fide test quality players that Ulster have in their pack, and when they're playing without them, they're playing by and large without players with any international experience. You know, Marty Murray has 10 caps. Rob Herring's won a good few. He's obviously out as well at the minute. But they've got an awful lot of players here, especially up front. They have no experience at that level. So the, the difference in answer to Ian's point is quite stark when you put those players in. And again, I don't think anybody's ever doubted the quality of Ulster's first choice 15. It's just what happens when you mine a little bit below that. Our, our next question then, the other one sort of related to uh, playing personnel is from Gary Crawford, who uh, says, now this is Gary Crawford's view, uh, Rodney Ayew, Pete Brown, Vihan Herbst, Peter Nelson, Shelf van der Merve, these boys are constantly injured or they're underperforming any time they do play. And then I ask, is it time to rip up some contracts? Which may not really be an option. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, if, if you... Don't take it quite so literally is probably asking are these guys worth having in the squad? The answer is I'm not going to take it person by person but in terms of some of the positions you look at tight head where Ulster's depth still isn't fantastic it's worth having Rodney IU there especially as someone who can play loose head and tight head, just to have that cover and the experience that he brings. Um, the thing is, Ulster squad is not big. Compared mm. to some squads in professional rugby these days, Ulster squad is very small and it's quite young. So you do need that mix between young guys and experienced guys. Whenever guys go away with Ulster or whenever they're injuries like we've seen you can't throw 20 academy guys in because there's absolutely no experience there and if things go wrong um, they might struggle so you need to have experience somewhere and that's where you have the likes of Vihan Herbst who has so much super rugby experience and has now played so many times for Ulster Pete Nelson who has been there got the t-shirt with Ulster um, <clears throat> so in terms of do they add value to the squad? Absolutely they do. Even if it's just being able to mentor some of the guys coming mm-hmm. through. Like Rodney Ayew maybe doesn't add much on the pitch anymore. But I'm sure he's giving some good lessons to Tom O'Toole and to Ross Kane as someone who has been in the international setup and has worked with Joe Schmidt. So uh, I don't think it's a case of just evaluating all players based on what they bring on the field. I think there's always a case of evaluating players on what they can also bring off the field. Just just to bring in a Ryder Cup analogy. Sergio Garcia. Sergio didn't see as many pictures on Twitter as I thought I was going to. I don't think I even saw any. I can show you plenty. <laughs> Expecting a photo document of your weekend. I thought it my dad mum and dad were there flat out in WhatsApp pictures over him. But to, to use a Ryder Cup analogy, Sergio Garcia was picked not for someone who was necessarily going to contribute a lot of points. He ended up contributing a lot of points, but he was picked as someone who was going to be a real leader in the clubhouse. He was going to be a real leader on that team and help with the bond in the team. I think some of the guys who you maybe don't see playing every week can be very valuable off the pitch and you've always got to take that into account as well you just need to be as good as Sergio ended up being on the course then too mm-hmm. to use a, to use another sporting analogy the NFL has non-guaranteed contracts that's a rarity in sports so you can't really um, just rip up deals that you've given people but I suppose then you're asking the question of if you feel that there's players in the squad that aren't performing to the required level, then why do they have contracts in the first place? And I'm not saying anything specific about those four or five guys that were in the end, but there's no denying the fact that Ulster are paying 
some players significant amounts of money not to play rugby, which is naturally enough a waste. So that's what you have to minimise for me moving forward. It's not the players that some fans don't think are good enough because the answer then is who do you replace them with? For me, the issue is the money that you're giving to people who aren't playing at all. It's like Lazar Markovic at Liverpool hasn't played in about five years, still there. Still <laughs> I learning. saw him once like, play for um, Benfica because I was with my mate. He lives in Brussels, so I went to Seattle like, against Benfica. And I swear he was the best footballer I've ever seen in my life. I was convinced he was the next Maradona. Well, Liverpool signed him. He's the next starter for Liverpool like, under 23. This, this, is, this is bad news for the rest of the Premiership. And then he turned up and he was absolute muck. Um, well, we'll move on then to the club roundup. Um, Adam, wait, I didn't check with you beforehand, but I know you always have one, so I'm sure it's there. You are very lucky that I had a lot of downtime yesterday between my flight. Um, <laughs> they're both waiting for my flight. Um, but yeah, we are back into All-Ireland action, and we're right back into the thick of things now. Last week, Division 2 got kicked off. So, in Division 2A, Queen's kicked off their 150th year with a 21-19 loss at home to last year's unbeaten 2B champions, Old Crescent. But they picked up a losing bonus point there. In Division 2B, Rainey's hopes at starting the season off with a big away win were put to bed early as they shipped a 36-14 hammering at the hands of promotion rivals MU Barnhall. There was a big road win, though, for Belvas Harlequins, who defeated Corinthians 15-11 in Gaul. Way. Corinthians relegated from 2A last year, of course. And then Gannon also started with a win as they saw Scaries 28-25 at Stevenson Park. And then Division 2C, the bigger result is Banger, but I have to start with a finally a win for City of Derry. City of Derry are back, people. <laughs> they, put, they put Tullamore to the sword, winning 29-15 at Judges Road to end a year of misery with Paul O'Kane's first game in charge ending in a positive note. While undoubtedly the result of the week saw Banger also have a huge week away from home as they gave new head coach Michael Ferguson the perfect start in tearing apart their promotion rivals Malahide 44-19. They also gave three 18-year-old debuts in that game, so looks like the future's quite bright there. But it was a disappointing opening week for Oma Aki's. They lost 23-19 to a last play try at last year's round-robin winner's Ballina. <laughs> uh, in the All Ireland Women's League, <laughs> in the All Ireland Women's League, and I do have to apologise to Cook because I forgot to mention them on last week's podcast. Uh, they suffered a loss in their first game of the season. They were defeated thirty-eight seven by last year's runners-up Old Belvedere Women at home. And then the Miller McCall Wiley Junior couple just run through the results quickly. Uh, Ballamoney twenty-five, Portadown thirty-five, Cook sixteen, Balnahinch twos thirty-two. Dremore 48, Ballyclare 29, Estonians 10, Malone 2's 45, Lauren 31, Carrick Fergus 22, Limavady 32, Ards 12, Lisburn 28, Clocker Valley 27, that one went to extra time, sounds like an absolute thriller, and Randallstown 28, Grosvenor 31. So looking ahead to this week in the All-Ireland League, Division 1B starts back this week and it's the first of many Ulster derbies this year. It comes from Eaton Park where Malone are the visitors to Ballymena. Banbridge and Balnahinch are both on the road at Old Belvedere and St Mary's College respectively and City of Armagh welcome Old Wesley to the Palace Grounds. In Division 2A, Queen's go searching for their first win of the season away at Highfield. In Division 2B, Belfast Harlequins welcome Sunday's well to Dermore Park. Rainey return home to face Wanderers and Dungannon make the long trip to play Sligo, hoping to make it 2 from 2. And in Division 2C, after their big opening day win, Bangor welcome Tomond to Up Richard Park. City of Derry are away at Brough and Oma are back at home against Malahide. And in the All-Ireland Women's League, this week Cook travel away to face Railway Union on Sunday at 1pm. Are Ballymena ever not playing Malone these days? I don't know. Like, <laughs> if a tree falls in a forest, will it hit a Ballymena Malone game? <laughs> I feel like 
I feel like this year there's just going to be Ulster derbies all over the place. We'll be sick of them by the end of the year. When you mentioned Van Racer, it just came into my head that I hadn't mentioned. I don't think that they tweeted me on my wedding day. Isn't that nice? (gasps) They actually did. Van or (laughs) FC tweeted me just to say have a nice day and thank you for everything you do or something. It was like, this is kind of nice because I have said before in the podcast that I feel like I overstate any (laughs) any (laughs) tiny allegiance that I may have. But it was nice, wasn't it? I was going to say that I got no messages on my wedding day in any rugby-related fashion. But did you tweet oh. out that it was? And I didn't, but I, I did. Get, I went looking for those sweet mentions. Plenty of lovely messages from all you nice people out there whenever I came back, so I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. That's nice. Um, that is Great group of lads, our listeners. <laughs> some boys, that's more or less us then for this week, isn't it? Uh, we should mention that Ulster A picked up a 27... Oh, yeah, I had that written down. <laughs> uh, Ulster A had a 27-19 win over Dragons uh, Dragons Development um, at Eaton Park in uh, Ballymena. Johnny McPhillips kicked 17 points. Aaron Sexton scored two tries. That's like four in four games for him. And they were both quite well taken, I he'll must admit. Be, uh, he'll be making his debut in Tillman Park next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd actually like to point out, I think that was a really good win for Ulster. You really liked that, didn't you? <laughs> um, I think that was a really good win for Ulster because you look at that Dragons development side, they had eight senior players featuring compared to Ulster's three it's still a very young Ulster side that they're putting out in the A competition. Yeah, this competition's uh, getting a bit confused at this stage. Like we had the uh, the shock fandom of a melodrama at the start of whether he was or wasn't allowed to play. And it just seems like an awful lot of different teams are feeling different um, <laughs> levels of experience in the competition, shall we say. And um, Ulster have really had to dig deep Um into their resources because mm-hmm. of one the South Africa trip and two the just the general injury problems that they've had so we have seen um, a really inexperienced panel so to get results the two results that I've got so far has been encouraging mm-hmm. and like I know they're um, the other games didn't go quite so well in terms of the the margin of defeat being I suppose more um, eye catching than the defeats but Aaron Sexton obviously looks like um, as we were led to believe, anyway, a real find, and it'll be interesting to see what he does after this competition. Is he going to go and tear up the Skills Cup? Is he going to uh, maybe play a bit of all Ireland League if they can wrangle it that way? Or yeah. well, that would be another young player for bang- for Bangers ranks. Yeah, it should be very yeah. good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, this week, Ulster A are away. They play Osprey's Development at 7pm on Friday which is a terrible time for us because it's at the same time as the Ulster Senior game Yeah, that's a um, game anyway, so. but if anybody happens to be in Wales <laughs> on Friday night they're if playing has eyes on this <laughs> well I know, we, I know we keep getting we'll bring tweets on as a guest next week we, we, keep, <laughs> we keep getting tweets from the South Wales U- URSC yeah, so right enough that's true um, yeah, I, they probably will be there I would, let us know if you're there yeah if, if they are there we will Happily take a report of how they did. Um, they're playing at <laughs> Brewery. No, no, sorry, yes. Um, but they're playing at Brewery Field in Bridge End. And just to keep you up to date with how they're actually doing in the poll, uh, Ulster are on nine points, Leinster and Munster streaking ahead on 19. So I, th- I think if Ulster don't pick up maximum points this week, they are actually out of. I think that has been the case. For well, a while. Yeah. yeah. But. Yeah. Um, that's that's just yeah. how they're doing. Good. If the guys are there, they could send us a little. Yeah. Just throwing this in, throwing this out there, they could send us a little audio report. <laughs> they could throw it into a podcast. They'd get featured. It would be amazing. They're, they're well anyway, known, well known for fine. vocals. So we'll, they we'll, get, uh, we'll put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we want to know how how loudly they're singing. Um, we also haven't mentioned the most important thing that happened this week. Well, you're, we mentioned your book, so we mentioned I went to the Ryder Cup. <laughs> All of these things, of course, pale in its significance with the fact that Michael Laurie made a senior debut. Oh, you thought my way! Why did we not mention that? Why did we actually And has proceeded to get injured, by the way. He's in the really? injury update. This podcast is just gone the last two hours, guys. This is it. Settle in. We're just going to keep finding more Michael stuff Lowry to keep this discussion. going. How'd you do? Um, Come on. Get it, was, oh, it was disappointing not to see him get more time at 10. Yeah. Um... 
because the game's already gone and it's probably should have just gave him a crack at 10 to see how he did but then imagine this was the first week he didn't get back to it and James Hume another Bambridge James Hume also but he's not or yeah so it would be nice seeing it around the time I remember there is I suppose um, banning him in gently I suppose from 15 rather than having Peter Romani smash him if he was playing 10 or um, yeah, but the first of many. Yeah, the Michael Lowry era has begun, guys. It has <laughs> begun. It's really like that was the start of a new era. On a genuine note, congratulations, congratulations to him and uh, yeah, James absolutely. Hume on making their first appearances for the senior team. And, and Angus Curtis for making his first start. Yeah. And McBurney's first start as well. That's right. And he was voted, which I didn't say earlier. I, I have really just said nothing that I wrote down to say. <laughs> Alan McVerney was voted man of the match in our poll online. Was he? Uh, yeah, 47% of the vote he got. Angus uh, Curtis was second on 27. He's, he's got a real dog about him, Adam McBurney. He's always fighting away in the tackle, which mm-hmm. I think is really good. It's interesting because we've probably alluded to this before, but like Rory Best, Rob Herring, John Andrew, Adam McBurney. Like we've seen other hookers drift out of the academy setup or the bottom if you like of the senior setup because there's not minutes for four hookers we know where he's not going to go on forever but um, hookers probably one of those areas that other teams look at Ulster in the way that Ulster look at say Lancers back row and think that they could potentially get a player there I always said that I was confident that Adam McBurney could transport some success to Ulster. <laughs> McBurney transport. Made that joke about a year ago, but within the many listeners then, so I thought I'd just give it another go. And on that bombshell. More people can hear that, that <laughs> genius. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, pre- that's pretty much it. It's not going to get any better than that, so we're just going to finish there. Yeah, you can. <laughs> From Adam McGandy. Cheers, guys. <laughs> From Jonathan Bradley. Thanks so much. And for myself, yeah, Hannah. Adam looks really crestfallen, but this is how it's ended. But thanks for listening. It was such a bad pun. <laughs>